Pastors, scholars, and Christians in general often lament the difficulties of reading the book of Revelation. These complexities can result in Christians becoming either completely unaware of the content of the book or really fanatically obsessed with it. We believe that every book of the Bible is important for Christian discipleship. But how should we read and understand this complicated book? Today, I'm joined by Daniel Vizbicki, who serves as an elder at Bethlehem Baptist Church's South Campus. And in this episode, we'll talk about the book of Revelation and how Christians can find hope and help in this challenging and foreign text. So Daniel, thank you for being willing to talk with us here. Thanks, Aaron. It's a pleasure to be here. So I'll start with an easy question. What's your interest in the book of Revelation? And and is this book even worth Christians reading? Well, it, it's in our Bible. And if we believe that the Bible is inspired, then generally Christians should be interested in reading the book of Revelation because it's, it's God's words given to us. So we should be those that think and see if we have a doctrine of Scripture that says God has spoken and he's spoken through these means, these different authors, we should look at the book of Revelation, which has been received by the church historically as part of the canon of scripture and say, yes, this is for us. Absolutely. So generally as a Christian, yeah, I'm interested Good. in Revelation. Absolutely. More particularly, if you're kind of wondering like, hey, Daniel, why are you on the podcast about, about Revelation? So um, probably, I mean, we could go way, way back. Um, but in fall of 2011, I took a seminary class that was an overview of the New Testament uh, at Bethlehem Seminary. And when I got to the capstone, the end, the book of Revelation, I read it through in English and then immediately went back and very slowly started going through it in my Greek New Testament. Just like, help me understand more about this book, God. And what that yielded was um, about... I want to say 15, 16 months of slowly reading it, rereading it in Greek and in other, um, in various translations, listening to it a lot, reading a lot, studying it both historically and systematically. And I probably ended up writing something on the order of like 1,100, 1,200 pages of just comments, notes, other things about it. Um, and was pretty quickly uh, convinced that, man, we don't think about Revelation that much. And we should yeah. in our churches today. So generally, specifically, yeah, I'm all about that revelation. Okay, well, good. And and I think that we can benefit from the hours of study you've put in. And maybe you can start by just helping us understand what the common approaches are to the book of Revelation as you've studied how it's been received through church history. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, today, if you look at the book of Revelation, there's probably four very common approaches that uh, Christians take to the book. So I'll just go through them kind of one by one, explain just a little bit about them. The first would be what's called the preterist viewpoint. So the preterist viewpoint is from a Latin term that means uh, that which came before, um, praetor. But what it does is it takes Revelation as a guide for the generation of Christians that lived when Revelation was written, the first generation of Christians, basically. So it's a guide specifically for them. So the the symbols and everything that was taking place there point towards uh, a Roman persecution surrounding the earliest Christians. And so the symbols point mainly towards those realities and what was taking place for that generation of 
of Christians. There's some variance in how people play that out and sure. Along so, those lines. so from that viewpoint, it might be similar to someone reading a prophecy that was given to the Israelites that was then fulfilled within their lifetime. Yeah. And and saying that's all that this is yep, yep. a prophecy. It's been fulfilled, and now we read it more as history. Yep. Yep. So there's the Olivet discourse. There's the prophecies in Daniel, especially Daniel seven through twelve, that a preterist would take, and with some degree of totality, not necessarily everybody. In fact, I think that if you as a preterist, uh, you know, take the viewpoint that every biblical prophecy has been fulfilled and nothing remains, you're a little bit outside the Orthodox, uh, just Orthodox Christianity. Mm -hmm. But there's lots of viewpoints that see primarily Revelation as being fulfilled in the earliest Christians' lifetimes. And I think there's plenty of possibility for that. Okay, so approach number one, everything written in Revelation has been fulfilled. Yeah, or most of it has been. Yeah, yeah, depending on that. So that's viewpoint one, preterist. So then the second viewpoint is what's called historicist. So historicist takes Revelation as a prophetic guide that points towards both what the Roman Empire was then in the situation of the early Christians, but also particularly what the Reformers in the 1500s faced in terms of the Roman, uh, they, they called it uh, a rebirth of the Roman Empire, but what they saw as the Roman Catholic Church standing in the place of all of these symbols that we see in the book of Revelation. So if the first view said this is a guide primarily for the first generation of Christians, well then the historicist says the symbols point towards, yes, the Roman Empire, and later the Roman Catholic Church, even up to the current day. So you even get... Um, you know, uh, Charles Spurgeon, you get other um, men as recently as the 1800s and even into 1900s, and I'm sure some today too, that say the Roman Catholic Empire is an expression of all these things that we see symbolically in Revelation, and that's how we need to view it as Christians. Okay. Now, what what would be a pushback to that view? I can maybe think of a couple, but why, why would we say they're probably onto something, but probably they're off as yeah, well. I mean, just initially, it's like, huh, that's that's really interesting. The fourteen hundred years of history kind of got skipped while we uh, while we waited for this to, you know, show up again. So I think that's the initial thing. Is like, okay, how does Revelation apply to uh, you know a faithful Christian living somewhere in Europe in the medieval period? Mm -hmm. um, it's just like, oh, is this a solid fifteen hundred year? Like, don't worry about that book. Sure. Uh, and eventually, it's going to come back. I. I don't think that um, the early reformers, um, in some of their totality and their their way that they read um, Revelation that way, were were accurate in just like completely um, transferring the symbols from one to the next. Yeah, I I totally agree, and I think it's probably an error that we can all be guilty of reading the Bible with a really short-sighted, myopic, local-centered interpretation, forgetting that there's been a lot of church history and Christians are all over the globe. And so if, if Revelation would only be meaningful for a European or for an American, we might be missing what the message of the book is. Yeah, yeah that's totally fair. So first view, I said preterist, second view, historicist, and the third view is the futurist. Viewpoint. So this views Revelation primarily as a guide for a future set of prophetic events mm -hmm. that are yet to take place from the perspective of the original readers. And then there's loads and loads and loads of debate in this viewpoint over what 
is what. So this would be, um, it's looking at the symbols as having mainly direct reference for something in the future mm-hmm. that doesn't necessarily as directly apply for the original readers. And again, there's plenty of variants. Um, I'm going to talk in a minute about regardless of which viewpoint you take, I think there's some solid faithful tools that you can at land in kind of any of these spots and still read Revelation really, really faithfully. Okay. And what would maybe be some expressions of this futuristic approach that we see regularly in kind of common literature? Yeah. So, I mean, we're in America, and this is just very interesting. When I travel, I spend time with other Christians in other parts of the world. Uh, as Americans, we have to understand that uh, the kind of left behind series, sort of like popular Christian theology, um, is uniquely American. It okay. really is. So, uh, the kind of like, this means this, this means this. Um, at times, this particular viewpoint, and they all have different ditches they can fall into, but this particular viewpoint grabs a newspaper or your, uh, your feed on Twitter and says, oh, here's a strong correlation between the Bible and my current events. That must be what it means. Um, whereas I think um, futurists, uh, you know, and futurism especially is really a reading that's about 150-ish years old as a major dominant viewpoint. Um, I think there's better ways as a futurist to read the book of Revelation rather than grabbing your newspaper. I'll talk about those. Okay, so a pure futurism is probably likely to see parallels between some of these images in Revelation and current events and focus only on the similarities, not any dissimilarities, with a very narrow view of history and and just looking forward from there. Yeah, again, there's a lot of variance and back and forth, and I'd say that there are faithful futurists that look and they're, they're, again, the tools that I'll share in just a minute for how to read Revelation. I think they can totally land on that end of the spectrum and not be like governed by the newspaper or whatever. But I think that often can be the case in kind of this pop level sort of theology that comes along with it. Okay. And do you want to share with us the way that you approach Revelation now, or do you want to save that as you flesh out? Oh, no. I think, yeah, we can just talk about the fourth viewpoint, which is the idealist viewpoint. So the idealist viewpoint sees Revelation as a guide for any generation of Christians at any time. What the symbols point towards are patterns, patterns in the scriptures that had reference or, um, you know, uh, things that the earliest readers, the seven churches in Asia from Revelation 2 and 3 could look and they could say, huh, this symbol points towards this. And fast forward 500 years and Christians in a generation living in, in wherever in 500 AD could say, yes, I see patterns here. Or Luther you know, talking in his day in the 1500s could say, oh, there's patterns here all the way up to the present day, all the way to the final generation of Christians, whenever that will take place, that there are patterns in God's world that the book of Revelation points towards that we should look and say, oh, yes, this is what this is as best as we can tell and seek to live faithfully in light of that. It's a, it's a, a guide, I would say, to what the spiritual realm actually is compared to what we see with only our eyes. Yeah, I I think that's really helpful. And I think it does incorporate some of the elements from the other views, admitting that these patterns have happened in the past. So it's historical. We're on a timeline progressing into the future. So it is futuristic, um, but it's, it's more and less than that 
all at the same time. Yep, yep. So then as we think about reading the book of Revelation, approaching it, understanding that it's it's a guidebook to the spiritual realm and into the patterns of the Christian life and, and the trials we're going to face, what's the overarching theological me- message of Revelation? And, and how does it carry forward the larger message of the Bible and, and point us in Christian discipleship. Yeah, yeah. So I'm gonna I'm gonna sidestep okay. slightly and kind of share like, okay, here's a few things that I think act as a bridge to help us get to what the theological message of Good. the book is. So if you're reading Revelation, I think for you to just realize that more like more than any other New Testament book, it is shot through with echoes and direct references to the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. Like through and through. Somebody um, I mean, like more than 400, like just stunning amounts of Old Testament everywhere. So what I like to say is rather than grabbing your newspaper or looking at your Twitter feed, you need to grab your Old Testament to better understand what these reference would refer to. Great. And then to go from there and say this was written to a real group of people. And so their understanding of this book is going to be a helpful guide going forward for anything else that we might say about it. And then last, we just have to realize that Revelation comes in a uh, after the rest of the canon has happened. And so there's a storyline to the biblical to the Bible, and we need to know where we're at in the story in terms of the book of Revelation, other things like that. Those three tools point towards, I think, this theological message. Not okay. any like one-off thing here or there or whatever, but just simply this. Jesus wins. Jesus wins. Salvation comes through judgment, either in Jesus's first coming, namely he comes, he dies on the cross, he doesn't stay dead, he rises again so that anyone that puts their faith in him will be forgiven their sins, given the complete righteousness of Christ. So the judge, salvation comes through judgment on Jesus, or what Revelation points towards, salvation comes in Jesus's second coming. And for all those that have not bowed the knee, they will be judged and ultimately thrown into the lake of fire. And what it points towards in these two things, the first coming and the second coming, this kind of already not yet of what's taking place and where we live in God's world is Jesus wins in the end and his people win with him. And I think John particularly is eager that his readers say, we want to persevere regardless of what's taking place around us in a, you know late first century when the Roman Empire was increasingly persecuting Christians or what we should do today with so much uncertainty and other things going on, we should want to persevere no matter what might come. That's great. And I, th- I think that refocuses the hopeful message of Revelation, which Christians throughout history have received this as a hope-giving book, not a fear-inducing book. So that, that leads me to ask, what is the relationship between Revelation and John's other writings? Because I, I think in first through third John, there are eschatological references, the Gospel of John. What's the relationship between these th- three works? Yeah, yeah. So if you're thinking about the theological message of each of them, there's certainly some commonalities and other things like that. Here's here's I mean, pastorally, devotionally, here's how best I would sum that up. We're not home yet. So mm-hmm. keep going. Jesus is with you and you've been granted the church as a practical means for Jesus to keep you coming. So in 1 John, that gets expressed in 1 John 2, like um, don't love the world or the things that are in the world, for everything that is in the world is not from God. But, um, and then it talks about um, for all that is in the world, the 
uh, lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, the pride of life. Um, and then it says, the world is passing away, but he that does the will of God will abide mm. forever. Or First John 4, we're not uh, of the world. Um, this is the spirit of antichrist. You know, he that comes and says Jesus hasn't come in the flesh. So there's a, a bent in John's writing in the direction of um, there's a future home that we're marching towards. And we need to remain faithful by God's grace, only with his help, not totally up to us. It's totally actually in the end up to him, um, but we're not there yet. So stay faithful, keep walking. That's, that's his purpose of using eschatology, doctrine of last things, is helping the church get to the end. Right. You know, the, the darkness is fading away because the light is already shining. So there, there's great hope there. And I think it's easy to miss that in some of John's writings as we focus on other issues, but really the, the hope he gives in uncertainty is the hope that is to come. So then as we think about Revelation as a book, the theological message and what it points us to, this winning of Jesus, how does the book of Revelation relate to current events? I, I think most of us have seen somewhere an article shared or comments made or even a timeline drawn connecting certain events in the Arab the Arab world, things in a cashless society to a reading of Revelation. How should we think about this and, and how can we cultivate a, a better perspective on yeah, current yeah. events? Yeah. So, I mean, we'll just take an example right away. Okay. So let's grab, let's grab one. Mark of the beast. Mm. All right. So Revelation 13 into 14. Well, what would that have meant for the earliest readers? Well, if you look at how Mark type language, marking somebody on the forehead, um, other things, go back to the book of Ezekiel, which is the, probably the main text, including some direct quotations that John utilizes. Um, well, Mark's implied ownership, like explicit ownership. Mm. And they were spiritual. They weren't, uh, they weren't like somebody walked around with a tattoo on their head, but there was a mark placed upon people by God for either protection or for condemnation in Ezekiel. And so I think fast forwarding to the earliest Christians that lived there, what would they have thought of that as? Some of the earliest commentators and plenty of people later just thought of that strictly as they're giving in their allegiance to Jesus. They're trading it in for the worship of the Roman emperor, which had become very, very in vogue by the time that Revelation was written. It wasn't something that the earliest emperors did, but later emperors totally did. So what might that look like today? What might the Mark of the Beast look like today? I don't think it's going to be things that are going to be less than renounce Jesus. Mm-hmm. So if, if there's a mark of the beast that's going to find an expression today or for the last Christians, it's going to be totally wrapped up in you must renounce your faith in Jesus, not something secret and you know potentially technological or cultural or other things like that. So, so with that as a guide, as an idealist, I've got a perspective that says we find this wherever uh, we find... Uh, always finding symbols, having reference, and this is a guide to our world. I look and I say, Satan is always trying to manipulate mankind to hate God, hate his people, and love sin. So demons would love for people at this church, at my church, to swear ultimate allegiance to America or to Black Lives Matter. So the reality that Jesus both reigns now as sovereign Lord and will finally be victorious should give us this spot where we're like, man, neither of these things do I owe ultimate allegiance to. 
And mm. neither of these things ought I work towards in, as though uh, they are my final salvation. No, Jesus is the one that will bring final and total salvation. So it creates kind of a calm, I, I think calming, confidence mm-hmm. in a believer that says, Jesus reigns, he rules, he's coming again. I'm going to keep going forward. Yeah, so so I think you're hitting on both a hermeneutical tool and a theological mindset. So the hermeneutical tool is probably, when we read Revelation, we th- should think of things more as figurative rather than literal, instead of assuming everything's literal rather than figurative. Sure. So whether it's the mark of the beast or something else. But then hermene- or theological mindset is, our hope is in God, my identity is in Christ, and whatever ill or good comes in this life is not the answer. It's, yeah. it's Christ in the end. Yeah, amen. So anything that would lead you away from Christ, that's what the book of Revelation is talking about. That, that's one of threats. the many antichrists in yeah. this world. Yep, yep, Good. amen. Good. So, Daniel, of course, as Christians have read the book of Revelation and the rest of the Bible, there are different end times positions that people can come to. And I think that the debates surrounding these end time positions can either scare somebody away from even jumping into Revelation because they think they've got to have a position so they can read the book, or they read it only to affirm that position. How how can Christians read the book of Revelation without falling into those traps, and how can they read it with Christians who hold different end times positions? Yeah, so I think anyone on any of the that spectrum from preterist, historicist, futurist, idealist, can approach the book of Revelation with still those three tools that I mentioned in mind and be able to land in their own convictions and their own spots about what exactly the book points towards and still have deep, deep fellowship and mutual encouragement, especially over this, that we're not home yet and Revelation helps us get there. So an encouragement for anybody listening to this podcast, uh, just to say like when you read the book of Revelation, don't treat it as a parenthesis separate from the rest of your the scriptures. Like, oh, what do I do with this? Treat it as, no, this is the capstone to the canon. This mm-hmm. is significant enough for me to invest time in and then turn and disagree with other Christians about, but still get the main theological meat out of it. Jesus wins. Be encouraged, brother. Bring, be encouraged, sister. We're not home yet. Let's get there together. As we close here, are there any resources that you would recommend for church people to pick up to aid them in that journey? So many, Aaron. One or two. No, I'm going to give you three. Okay, give us three. Yeah, I'll give you three. So um, I think there is a particular... So if, if at all this viewpoint, an idealist viewpoint, where there's both reference in the past, reference still to come in the future, and something for us today in the book of Revelation. Here's an excellent opening study guide. This is the Teleos Academy study series. So Wes D. Van Fleet, his study guide on Revelation is thick. It's meaty. You can do it by yourself. He does something wonderful. In his study mm-hmm. guide, he doesn't start in Revelation 1. He spends the first, I think, two weeks in the study guide just in the Old Testament, just building foundations right. for before you get there. Great resource that I think anybody can sink their teeth into. Greg Beal is an author that wrote a a beastly commentary. <laughs> a, uh, not that kind of beast, uh, but a very big commentary that in recent years it has been greatly shortened and, and made more concise. 
it's excellent. I think it's just called Revelation, a shorter commentary. Yes. If I remember correctly. And then particularly something that I think is really interesting when we think about Revelation as a tool for today, um, there's a, a book written by an Anabaptist. So a okay. guy who has a, a perspective that's probably a little bit different from Aaron's and mine on the book of Revelation, um, but it's called Apocalypse and Allegiance, Worship, Politics, and Devotion in the book of Revelation by a guy named J. Nelson Craybill. I just, I, I don't agree with everything in that book. That book gets right at the heart of what I think it is to apply the book of Revelation or see our culture and where we stand today and helpfully say, how does Revelation help us be faithful? Great. That's helpful. And I would just add to that list a really small book by Duval called The Heart of Revelation, which is just a, a really easy guide to read for the theological message of Revelation. Well, Daniel, thanks for talking. It's been great to have you on the podcast. Yeah, thanks, Aaron. Questions and Answers About the Bible and Theology is a podcast of Crystal Lake Baptist Church. To learn more about our church, you can visit us at www.clbcmn.org. And if there's a question that you would like answered, you can email it to us at office at clbcmn.org.